Well, folks, this is why it was a good idea to sign John Tavares. The Maple Leafs announced on Monday morning center Austin Matthews will miss a month with a shoulder injury. Now, if you follow the team, you have to still feel pretty comfortable knowing that you've got Tavares and Nazem Kadri to anchor the middle of the lineup. The Leafs, already in first place in the division, but with a solid roster up front, can probably afford to give their young phenom the requisite four to five weeks to fully heal, unlike last year when he was ramping up for the playoffs in mid-March. Without Tavares, though, how comfortable would you feel with Nazem Kadri as the number one guy, without much depth behind him after that? It's too soon to start calling Matthews injury-prone this early in his career, but it looks wise for the Leafs to have stacked their center ice position in hopes of not missing a beat during this latest extended absence. Hello, hello, welcome to the 416 Sports Show for Monday, October 29th, 2018. I'm Matt Dinek-Lantonio. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dinek, D-I underscore N-I-C. The 416 Sports Show is available for streaming and download on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google, wherever else you find your podcast, you should be able to find it in that location. And while you're at it, make sure to subscribe so you can get the episodes weekly right into your feed on your phone or other smart device. Uh, and leave a rating or a review while you're there as well um, to uh, help boost the popularity uh, in iTunes or in your platform of the 416 Sports Show. We got a lot to talk about today. As I mentioned off the top, the bad news early Monday morning being released that Austin Matthews will be out at least a month. Uh, and I think most people are probably expecting him to uh, probably return sometime around December 1st when the Maple Leafs take on the Minnesota Wild. Uh, so that's about 15 games right now that the uh, speculation is that Matthews will be out. So the Leafs have the next 15 games to try and figure out how to work the lineup in his absence. Like I mentioned, it's it's uh, not the worst case scenario when you've got John Tavares and Nazem Kadri to still be that one-two punch. That's a, still a pretty formidable offense. You've still got guys like Mitch Marner and Patrick Marlowe and Zach Hyman uh, working up front, so it's uh, it's certainly not the loss that it could be um, for certain other teams if if they lost their number uh, number one or number one A one B however you want to label him uh, center. Um, but it uh, it raises some interesting questions about where the the Maple Leafs go from here and how they deal with this uh, this injury absence. Uh, you know, we already hear the uh, speculation and the comments about uh, what impact might this have on William Nylander, and does this increase the leverage that Nylander has to get uh, to get him back in the lineup? Initially, I'm going to say this doesn't change much at all because uh, if if the return date for Matthews is December 1st, like I mentioned, and like we think, keep in mind that's also the uh, the deadline for when Nylander can sign to still be eligible to play this season. So are you really going to, you know, sacrifice uh, whatever negotiating or bargaining chips that you've, you've current, you're currently using uh, to get Nylander into the lineup 15 games earlier? Obviously, Dubas and Babcock and the rest of the Leafs organization want Nylander in the lineup as quickly as possible. But I'm not totally sure that it, uh, this injury to Austin Matthews really does all that much to to change things. Uh, it certainly doesn't as of today. The Leafs will have three games this week, starting Monday night when they host the Calgary Flames. Then on Thursday, they'll host the Dallas Stars, and Saturday, they travel to Pittsburgh. I think you probably give this 
new lineup, three games to figure out how the the pieces sort of fit together, how the ice time gets distributed, how the matchups look, how the power play looks, how how all of that looks. Uh, so I don't think you're rushing out, you know, on Monday morning or Tuesday morning. Should they lose on Monday? I don't think you're rushing out on Tuesday to say, all right, because Matthews is gone and we lost this game, we've got to get Nylander signed. So I think we can pump the brakes a little bit on this injury um, really having a significant impact on those contract negotiations with William Nylander. Uh, However, if they were able to get Nylander signed in the next week or so and get him into the lineup... How might that impact things with Matthews out of the lineup? We had assumed that Nylander would just slide into the right wing spot on the line with Matthews and, for the time, Patrick Marlowe. Uh, how does how do things change um, in that regard? If Nylander is signed in the next week, do they use Nylander to replace Matthews as, as a center? You And now you roll with Tavares, Kadri, and Nylander as your three centers. Um, I think that will be the more interesting factor to determine as we look. Parlindholm will be going back to the center ice position. He'll be centering a third line with Andreas Janssen and Connor Brown. He's been playing the left wing with Nazem Kadri for um, probably the last five or six games at this point. Uh, and he's looked all, all right, but uh, you know, will there be more of an adjustment period with Lindholm playing uh, at center? When he had played center, he was only... Um, he was on the fourth line, so he was playing less than 10 minutes a night at center. So uh, does he get us exposed a little bit as that third line center? What role does Babcock use him in on that line with Janssen and Brown? Uh, and, you know, does his performance over the next four or five games, uh, still assuming that Nylander can get signed at some point in this month or or next month being November, at, assuming that Nylander can get signed, uh, does his performance impact where Nylander ends up in the lineup? Of course, all of this speculative. Uh, Nylander still needs to get his name onto a contract and get himself into the building and prove that he's ready to play uh, before we can further these discussions. Uh, and I, I hope, like I said, that this injury doesn't have much to do with William Nylander, but I hope that um, injury aside, we can just pump the brakes on the trade William Nylander talk. I really, 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 really am getting sick of hearing people suggesting that they need to trade Nylander for a defenseman. First of all, I'm getting sick of hearing that they need to trade him at all because of this contract situation. Uh, I haven't seen a plausible trade scenario presented by anybody that indicates to me that a player that the Leafs would be getting in return for William Nylander is going to make a significant enough impact to immediately transform the Leafs into a, a top three Stanley Cup contender uh, and really move the needle on where they are right now. So that's just my little William Nylander aside. Please stop suggesting that William Nylander should be traded, especially for a defenseman. I A, don't see it happening, and B, don't really see how much of an impact that type of transaction will make on on you know how the Leafs are performing what type of defenseman they're going to get, who that bumps out of, out of the lineup, how much of an impact that that person is, unless Kyle Dubas can really hit a home run, which I don't see happening because many teams have to figure that he's you know, negotiating from a position of weakness. I don't see a scenario in which Kyle Dubas can win a William Nylander trade in which he is dealt one for one for a defenseman. So let's put that conversation on ice. Let's continue to hope that Nylander will uh, sign a contract with the Maple Leafs uh, in the next few days or weeks um, as soon as possible and he gets into the Maple Leafs lineup and can start contributing uh, immediately because they are going to need to uh, you know fill the void they lose their their leading score 10 goals and 16 points uh, through the first 11 games of the season it's like I said they're they're set up to survive this type of absence but his absence will be noted Uh, they did all right in the 20 games without him last year 
Um, the, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, which I should. So hold on. I'm going to try and, and pull those up. Um, but it is a, it is a significant loss. Uh, but I think the team is better suited uh, this year than than they were last year to uh, to replace that. So in 20 games last year without Austin Matthews, they went 11-7-2. So they picked up 24 out of a possible 40 points. Obviously not um, the most ideal. That's not a great 82-game pace. Uh, 3.1 goals per game, 2.5 goals against per game. Power play was still 34.6%, although he was not on the top unit last year. So um, the power play may suffer a little bit. It looks like uh, Kasperi Kapanen is going to get the first shot to replace Matthews on that top unit. And uh, the way the, the way the lines will shake out is we saw um, Mike Babcock reunite Nazem Kadri with Patrick Marlowe and Mitch Marner, the line that was so good for them last year. That line was reunited late on Saturday. They will be uh, together Monday night against the Calgary Flames. John Tavares will stay with Zach Hyman and pick up Kasperi Kapanen on the right side. Then there will be, as I mentioned, Lindholm with Brown and Janssen, who draws back into the lineup. And the fourth line of Frederick Gauthier between Josh Levo and Tyler Ennis will remain intact uh, for now as well. So, uh, again, there are a lot of moving parts as we go through the next 15 games or so without Austin Matthews. And as I mentioned, Nylander potentially coming in. Where would he slot in if he's not playing center? Does he slide in with Tavares and Hyman? Or does you know are, are there other uh, changes? Does that line of... Uh, Marner, Kadri, and Marlowe work so well again in the next month that even when Matthews returns that uh, they don't reunite Mitch Marner with John Tavares, a combination that had looked so good uh, over the first 11 games of the season. So like I said, a lot of moving parts, so a lot that will be analyzed moving forward. Everything until we see them in game action starting Monday night against the Calgary Flames is purely speculative. So it's, it's going to be a... Uh, I don't want to say a difficult situation for the Leafs, but certainly a suboptimal situation for the Leafs, but they are set up with good depth uh, to be able to sustain it. Uh, th- this shouldn't impact their ability to uh, make the playoffs. Uh, so you want Austin Matthews to be healthy. The depth uh, and the uh, part of the season where when this injury occurred uh, certainly allows them to uh, give him the proper amount of time. Uh, what it, they have just said it's a shoulder injury. You know whether it's a separated shoulder or a, exactly what type of injury it is. Uh, he said it's it's similar to the one he dealt with on his right shoulder last year. This year it's his it's his left shoulder. So um, it it gives them a lot of time to be able to make sure that he is you know fully healthy for for the remainder of the season. And hopefully there are no long term impacts even when he is able to return to the lineup. Uh, but finally, kudos to the Maple Leafs and and whether this is a, a new influence from. Uh, Kyle Dubas, uh, but listing the fact, even on Saturday night when they uh, made the announcement that that Matthews would not return, they called it a shoulder injury. It was not an upper body injury. Uh, I think it was quite obvious um, that it was a shoulder injury. Anybody who was watching the game would have been able to tell that. Um, but I, I appreciate and I applaud the um, fourth their forthright approach um, to reporting on injuries this year, mentioning that it was a shoulder injury. They come out on Monday morning and say he's going to miss four weeks. Last year, every time he was out, it was, uh, you know, he's going to be, you know, it's, it's at least 10 days. Then we'll go from there. Then we'll see when he's practicing. And then you got to get him back in shape. And it was just a constant, you know, what is happening? When is when is this going to happen? Um, a lot of guesswork. And um, 
this this time around this year again, whether it's the influence of Kyle Dubas, they are they are very uh, open with the timeline and all that. So I, I think uh, a lot of fans appreciate the fact that they have some concrete information on how long Matthews is going to be out and it eliminates a lot of the day-to-day, week-to-week guesswork uh, involved with this injury. Overall, the Leafs uh, have looked better over the last uh, couple of games. They had that little stumble against Pittsburgh and St. Louis where they were able to manage uh, one goal over those two games, but then back-to-back wins over the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, A very solid performance, maybe their most complete performance of the season in Winnipeg on Wednesday night with that 4-2 victory over the Jets, uh, getting a goal from each line, um, which was... Uh, you know, obviously impressive and, and shows the depth that they have uh, and a good defensive performance, a good performance from Frederick Anderson. Um, and then following that up Saturday, it, you know, they the first period was all right. After they had the early power play, they didn't score. Matthews at the post. Um, and then they kind of really carried the momentum through the rest of the period. Then they give up the power play goal. Uh, and then Matthews gets hurt early in the second, and that really seemed to kind of deflate the team. There was really no jump. They gave up the second goal. And... Uh, it looked like, you know, it looked like the night was done. Kadri scores halfway through the period, and uh, Jim Houston mentioned it. It really just revitalized the crowd and kind of got the team going. Then you score twice in 26 seconds, and boom, you win the game. Um, so certainly not not a recipe for success that you're going to want to follow every night, but uh, I thought that was a good, uh, you know, character win, a bounce back uh, from losing their, their best player and, and being down early in the game, uh, and it showed a lot of uh, determination and fortitude from this club to, to be able to win that game. So uh, a, a big two points in the standings uh, that they will take it. They are now 8-3 and three on the young season. Uh, I think Frederick Anderson has been a lot better this season than he has been in October and years past. So um, he's had, you know, some shaky outings, but those two games against Winnipeg, uh, he looked good. He'll get the call against Calgary on Monday night. You have to imagine that they're just going to keep rolling with him. Uh, he missed that one game against the LA Kings. Garrett Sparks played great in his absence, but... Uh, looks like Anderson will be uh, will be the man on every non back to back start for the foreseeable future. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, Calgary on Monday, Stars in town on Thursday, Pittsburgh uh, hosting the Maple Leafs on Saturday. That will be the the action for the Leafs this week as they begin life without Austin Matthews. The Toronto Raptors have begun this season 6-0. A great start for rookie head coach Nick Nurse. A great start for newcomer Kawhi Leonard. And it's got fans starting to think that, you know, maybe this is the year that the Raptors turn the corner uh, and can, you know, stop tricking us into believing that they are true contenders. But it's been a great start to the season. They've had some, uh, some big wins. That last Friday night, the second game of the season against the Boston Celtics, uh, that was a game that uh, felt like it was a little bit more intense than your typical October Friday night second game of the season. Serge Ibaka admitted as much after the fact. Al Horford admitted as much after the fact. Kawhi Leonard kind of brushed it off and said, nah, it's just basketball, it's just another game. But uh, being in the building, that definitely it had a different feel to it. And the Raptors uh, pulled out the victory and a little bit of a statement victory. They were at home. Uh, but, you know, showing the Boston Celtics that just because everyone has anointed Boston, the best team 
in the Eastern Conference this year. The Raptors are, are not going to you know, lay out the welcome mat and say, yep, go right ahead. You guys get first place. Uh, it's been a very, very solid start to the, to the season for the Raptors. You struggle to find areas of weakness. Um, they maybe have some problems rebounding with some of their smaller lineups. You know, when they start Ibaka at the five, uh, you know, OG and, and uh, Leonard on the wings. They struggle with, with rebounding a little bit in those situations, but a lot of the other areas of their game really mask those deficiencies. The three-point shooting has been good. Uh, the play of of uh, Ibaka and Jonas Valanciunas as that one-two punch at the center position has been incredible. You think about it last year, it was Valanciunas was the starting center. Jakob Pertl was the backup center. He played almost exclusively with that bench mob second unit. And we really didn't see any of Serge Ibaka as uh, as a center, which was something that we thought we might see. You know, he seems to be best suited to be playing center. Uh, and Nick Nurse has put him in that position to succeed. And, and you know, Pirtle was sent to San Antonio in that trade for Kawhi Leonard. And it's kind of been a a, a blessing, uh, a blessing in disguise, I want to say, or, or a positive sub-development. Um, that nothing against Jakob Pertl. He's a great guy. Interviewed him a, a, a bunch down in the locker room after the games. You know, very well-spoken, very knowledgeable about the game. Great uh, person liked in the locker room. Um, but that unit of, or that tandem of Ibaka and JV just seems to be a little bit more potent than the 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 unit of JV and Pertl. Uh, it allows the Raptors to kind of adjust their lineup based on what the other team is playing. And when the other team is a little bit small, then they can start Ibaka when there's a, a you know, a traditional big man, uh, like we saw on Friday when Dallas was here and DeAndre Jordan, it's JV who gets the start. And JV is good enough to play against any of the big men in the league, any of those traditional fives. He's, you know, he's good enough to hang with them. So you don't lose anything when you have to put JV in the starting lineup or Ibaka in the starting lineup. And, JV is playing in a role that he's really not done all that much in terms of coming off the bench, and it doesn't appear to have impacted his game at all. He does not appear to be, um, you know, unhappy with the decision, and it's certainly not affecting his play. I think he, you know, he has performed uh, just as strongly as he has in years past when he's been the the permanent number one guy. Uh, and so, even on the nights when he's coming off the bench, he's great. When he's put into the starting lineup, he's very good as well. So, you know, certainly nothing to complain about for the Raptors on on that regard. We still haven't really seen their their full complement, their full rotation. DeLon Wright's only played one half of a game. Fred Van Vliet's been a little bit banged up. OG and Anobi has kind of been in and out of the lineup dealing with uh, some personal um, issues. We don't know exactly what that is, but um, we obviously wish the best to him and his family, anybody who might be involved in, in whatever is keeping him away from, from the team from time to time. Uh, but when he has been here, he's been good. But because of that, because of guys kind of shuffling in and out of the lineup, they haven't really run the full rotation or, or given Nurse the full complement of options that that he could have um, or I think is expecting to have on a nightly basis. Um, but the guys who are who are involved have been good. C.J. Miles got his shooting going a little bit on Friday night after a slow start to the season. Uh, Norman Powell's been adequate. Uh, those are guys who might see their minutes cut a little bit when um, DeLon and, and Fred Van Vliet come, black, come back. Excuse me. Um, Lorenzo Brown was essentially the backup point guard on Friday night with, with both DeLon and uh, Van Vliet out. And he, he was good too. He was a little bit of a defensive uh, spark plug in that fourth quarter after the Mavs went on the run to 
to close the gap to one at the end of the third quarter. And then he had a couple of good defensive stops and steals, you know, breakaway dunks that uh, or breakaway buckets, I should say that uh, sort of got the Raptors back on track. They were really locked in defensively to finish the game, really locked in to vent defensively to start the game. It was like 11-2 at one point, five or six minutes into the game. They really limited the what the Mavericks were able to do offensively, and I think that's what we're going to see a lot of from this team. Uh, so they begin the season 6-0. and They are 4-0 and at home. Uh, it's been a, a really good start. Uh, this week, they'll get the Milwaukee Bucks on Monday. It was announced earlier on Monday uh, that Giannis Atetokounmpo uh, is in the NBA's concussion protocol, so he will not play for the Bucks. Uh, Ananobi is uh, away from the team, and uh, Kawhi Leonard with the Raptors beginning the back-to-back will not play Monday night in Milwaukee, but he is expected to play Tuesday at home against the 76ers, so they're still limiting his uh, his games. He did not play the tail end of the back-to-back uh, at the beginning of the season when they played Friday at home against Boston and then Saturday in Washington. Uh, and I think it's a, a smart call for now. Um, he's still getting himself back 100% in, into game shape. Remember, this guy only played nine games last year and didn't play at all after November. So he's, you know, he's getting, he keeps saying he's getting his legs back, he's getting his lungs back, he's getting his conditioning and all that. And they don't want to push him on back-to-backs just yet. And in both situations, they're going to play him at home. So they're not... You know, they could very easily have played him tonight and then sat him tomorrow at home. Um, so it, from a fan perspective, the home fans are not losing, or at least as of yet, have not lost any opportunity to see Kawhi Leonard. Although on a more practical sense, I think the decision was made because they were coming from home. They'll be flying to Milwaukee and then flying back right to Toronto uh, for that game on Tuesday. So if you're only going to have him for one game, don't even bother putting him on the plane, sending him out to travel, put him on the plane to come back home. Uh, and then, you know, even if he's got to sit on Tuesday, I think it makes more sense just to leave him in Toronto for Monday, send the rest of the team. Uh, they're still, you know, good enough to put themselves in a great position on Monday night. Uh, and a game, the seventh game of the season in October, uh, not as important as a game in the middle of May when a playoff series hangs in the balance. So the eye is set firmly on May and June to make sure that Kawhi Leonard is healthy enough and fresh enough uh, to give the Raptors 100% effort at that point in the season. CJ Miles said it best in his post-game scrum on Friday night. He was making a comment about, you know, one of 82 or it's an 82-game season, and then he stopped himself and said, heck, we want to be playing close to 100 games, over 100 games. So that's, that's the mindset of this Toronto Raptors team. It's not just about getting through 82. They know they're good enough... To make the playoffs, similar to as I mentioned with the Leafs and Austin Matthews, you got to do what you need to do to make sure the team is in the best position to succeed in the postseason in April, in May, in June. These guys want to play, both teams want to play well over 100 games and be competing for a championship. And if you're sacrificing a few games in October and November in order to make that happen, that's a good sacrifice in my eyes. So, as I mentioned, the back to back Monday, Tuesday, it's Milwaukee. On Monday night, on the road, Tuesday night, they're back home to take on the 76ers, a team that they're expected to have as competition for one of the top two or three spots in the Eastern Conference this season. So it should be a good couple of games over the next two nights. 
Then they hit the road on a long western road trip, which will begin Friday night when they head to Phoenix to take on the Suns. Sunday night, they are in Los Angeles to take on their good old pal LeBron James and the LA Lakers as the 6-0 Toronto Raptors will face their, well, 6-0 for now. They could be 8-0 by the time they head out on that road trip, uh, but the Toronto Raptors continue to be uh, an impressive team to start this season, and they'll get their first test of the year when they head out west later this week. to give congratulations to the Boston Red Sox this morning after the Beantowners captured their fourth World Series title in the last 15 years. And what a kick to the groin for Blue Jays fans as David Price pitches the clinching game, goes 2-0 in the World Series, and Steve Pierce, who was traded away in June, picks up World Series MVP. Is just that kind of year for the Toronto Blue Jays, but a lot of people around the team happy for uh, David Price to sort of get over the proverbial proverbial hump. Um, you know, until late in the ALCS, he had not won a playoff game his career, and now he's Jack Morris as he, you know, won three, won his last three starts, was a surprise starter in game five. Most people thought Chris Sale was going to go. Chris Sale comes in and ends up pitching the ninth inning to, to clinch the World Series for the Red Sox. Uh, and a lot of people happy for Steve Pierce, a guy who, um, you know, was kind of in and out of the lineup, injured a couple of times here in Toronto, but um, always seemed to be a bit of a, a fan favorite. We'll always remember in 2017, the time he hit two walk-off grand slams in the same week. Uh, so anybody in Toronto knows that it's not too big of a moment for Steve Pierce. Uh, and great to see him. He was able to stay healthy. He was in, an important part of that Boston Red Sox team that has stars up and down the lineup. You look at uh, Mookie Betts, Andrew Benintendi, J.D. Martinez. Uh, he was platooning with Mitch Moreland, who's also in there. Nunez, Devers. Um, there was a lot of good pieces on that team. Jackie Bradley Jr. And Steve Pierce is the one who comes away with the MVP. He had three home runs in games four and five. Uh, hit two home runs in game five to clinch it. Had the bases clearing double uh, in game four in the top of the ninth inning to uh, break the game open for the Red Sox. So uh, a tip of the cap to Steve Pierce, uh, and unfortunately as a, as a Blue Jays fan, uh, a tip of the cap to the Boston Red Sox who capture the 2018 World Series championship. But back on the homestead, there was news from the Toronto Blue Jays on Thursday as they hired Charlie Montoyo as the newest manager in club history, taking over from John Gibbons, who was let go following the conclusion of the 2018 season. Montoyo is a guy who's been managing in the uh, minor leagues for a very long time. Uh, he comes from the Tampa Bay Rays organization. He'd been with them for uh, nearly two decades and uh, spent seven seasons managing at AAA Durham. He won uh, six division titles in that time either six and seven or seven and eight, either way, like a lot of success at the AAA level uh, and has spent uh, the last three years with the major league roster working as third base coach and as bench coach uh, in the 2018 season for Kevin Cash. So he comes uh, from an organization that has garnered a lot of respect uh, from the Blue Jays head office. Um, 
for their, I guess we should say, forward-thinking approach. And, and maybe some traditional fans kind of roll their eyes at what we saw from Tampa Bay this year with their opener method of uh, constantly using relief pitchers to start the game and, and not going with a traditional rotation. Um, Montoyo has admitted, you know, just because I'm coming from Tampa Bay doesn't mean that I'm going to do everything that I did in Tampa Bay or that we did in Tampa Bay. But he's a guy who is open to new ideas, a, a criticism that was levied against John Gibbons from time to time. Um, not to say that Gibbons was completely stuck in his ways, but Montoyo appears to be a guy who um, will take a little bit more of an uh, more of a look at some analytically driven data, uh, some of the newer numbers that are uh, around baseball to to make his decisions. Uh, no decisions have been made on uh, the rest of the coaching staff, but um, he left the door open to certain uh, members of staff continuing on. That would, of course, would include guys like bench coach Demarlo Hale, pitching coach Pete Walker. Um, and guys of that nature. Uh, so there will be some decisions to to be made by Montoyo over the next few weeks as uh, we get into the winter meetings and the GM meetings that uh, will go into December. And uh, the Blue Jays are not expected to be major players in free agency this year. Uh, expect them to tweak the roster via trades. They're still looking for some controllable young starting pitching as uh, right now the starting rotation for 2019 looks like Stroman, Sanchez, Barucki, maybe Reed Foley, maybe Sam Gavilio. Uh, the team is not expected to fully contend in 2019, but uh, regardless, you're, you want a little bit of an, an improvement uh, on that unit, especially considering the uh, kind of injury-plagued seasons uh, that Sanchez has had the last two years, and uh, Stroman was a little bit banged up this year as well. So um, Marco Estrada is uh, set to walk as a free agent, uh, and I think all signs point uh, pointed to that being the case already, but uh, Montoyo was introduced to the media uh, in Toronto on Monday, and his jersey wore number 25, which is the number that Estrada has worn here since he became a Blue Jay in 2015. So uh, another indication that it appears that Marco Estrada's time in Toronto has come to a close. But uh, it is certainly a time of transition for the Toronto Blue Jays. It, it will be um, if an offseason that, if not highlighted by wow moves or splash moves like I said not expected to be a major player in free agency but I do expect them to tinker the roster here and there you might see guys even guys who were brought in last season a Jan Hervis Alarte and Aledmus Diaz a Randall Grichuk those are the types of players that might be sent out to bring in some young pitching uh, they do have some young players at other areas of the roster that they want to get uh, a better look at um, we expect Danny Jansen to be um uh, catching at the major league level this year. What that means for Russell Martin remains to be seen. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. looks like he's earned an, an everyday job. What does that mean for the future of uh, Devin Travis? Uh, where does Teoscar Hernandez fit? Where does Justin Smoke fit? Uh, what do you make of Rowdy Telez's hot September, and will that earn him a spot uh, in the lineup in 2019? Kendris Morales is in the final year of his deal. Will he be the full-time DH in 2019, or did he have a strong enough second half that maybe he might be shipped out? Now that he's only got one year left on his deal, uh, it's about $11 million, I think. You know, Maybe some American League team says, yeah, we'll take a chance on one year of a switch-hitting power hitter DH, even though that's all he can do. Um, you know, Maybe you get a little bit of something for him. So uh, expect the Jays to be active on the trade market this offseason. Uh, now that they've got their manager in place, he'll start to evaluate all the pieces and I'm sure be in discussions with Ross Atkins uh, and Mark Shapiro to see who uh, he would prefer to keep and who he would prefer to, uh, you know, maybe upgrade uh, or get an additional you know, body in place uh, in certain areas of the roster. So 
while it, it might not be the most eye-popping uh, offseason in Blue Jays history, uh, I do expect there will be plenty for us to talk about. How many friends have you told about me? wrap things up by taking a look at the schedule for the Toronto Sports Clubs over the next seven days, starting with tonight, Monday, October 29th. Hopefully hopefully you are listening to this before the uh, full slate of games this evening, and it should be a good one. Seven o'clock, the Leafs are at Scotiabank Arena to host the Calgary Flames for their only visit to Toronto this year. Eight o'clock, the Raptors are in Milwaukee to take on the Bucks, first of a back-to-back for the Dinos. And 8-15, week eight of the NFL season wraps up when the New England Patriots visit the Buffalo Bills in an AFC East divisional matchup that should be Pretty lopsided. Tuesday night, only one game. It's the Toronto Raptors returning home for the Philadelphia 76ers. Their first, or excuse me, their last game at home for some time uh, as they head out on their Western road trip following that. Wednesday night is uh, a dark night on the Toronto sports calendar. None of the teams are in action, so you can enjoy Halloween without the distraction of the TV. So uh, put a costume on and uh, invite uh, trick-or-treaters and, and be generous. Uh, and if those, if there are any of you who are out trick-or-treating, make sure to please be safe. Thursday, November 1st, the Leafs continue their three-game homestand when they host the Dallas Stars. 7 o'clock puck drop down at Scotiabank Arena. Week 9 of the NFL season kicks off uh, in what is probably going to be a, a bit of a snoozer. The Oakland Raiders visiting the San Francisco 49ers. On Friday, the Raptors begin that West Coast trip. 10 o'clock tip-off in Phoenix when they take on the Suns. Saturday, the Leafs are in Pittsburgh at 7 o'clock to take on the Penguins. Sunday, the Raptors are in Los Angeles to take on the Lakers. That is a late 10.30 Sunday night tip-off to kill time before then. Uh, A full slate of... NFL Week 9 action highlighted by a 425 contest between the Saints and the Rams, potentially home field advantage in the NFC playoffs up for grabs, and then a pair of legendary quarterbacks will duke it out on Sunday Night Football from Gillette Stadium in Foxborough when Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers visit Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. So for Toronto and the Maple Leafs, life without Austin Matthews for the next month begins on Monday night when the Leafs take on the Calgary Flames. There are many questions that will come about over the time that Austin is out of the lineup, and we'll see what answers the Maple Leafs have in store. How long will the Raptors be able to remain undefeated? And they get their first look at LeBron James in an LA Lakers uniform later this week, which means we are going to have a ton to talk about next week on the 416 Sports Show. So I thank you for joining me today. I'm Matt Antonio. You can find me on Twitter at Danik, D-I underscore N-I-C. You can find the 416 Sports Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google, wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope that you will join me again next Monday when we break down everything that's happened over the previous seven days. Have a great week, Toronto. We'll talk to you then.